Well, there's an old African proverb um, that goes like this. It says, it takes a village to raise a child. You heard, that, you heard that famous proverb? It takes a village to raise a child. And the, the idea behind that proverb is that what this means is that the process of forming a family, at, at least in African thought, is, is that that process is shared by many rather than just by one. It's shared by many, not just one person, not just one set of parents. It's shared by many that the process of raising a child is a village uh, process. It's a community process. It's a collaboration process. Um, and I think uh, in the same way, if, if we're going to think about the family of the church, and we're a family, just for the record, we're family, we're family together. Um, as we think about the church and we think about this faith family that we have, it also takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to do what God has called us to do. It's not just a set of paid professionals that lead the ministry and do the ministry, but rather it takes an entire village. It takes a community to do what God has called us to do. And so for today in Acts chapter 18, we're going to see how many people uh, come together and join together and participate in the process of building and growing the church and seeing the mission of Jesus move forward. Uh, the title for today, it's this, it takes... A village. Somebody say, it takes a village. And y'all got to help me preach too, okay? I've said this in the past, but y'all got to help me preach. So if you hear something that resonates with you, you can say amen. Somebody say amen. amen. Somebody can say, that's right, preacher. Um, somebody can say, preach it. Somebody can say, uh, say you got it. Whatever you want to say, you can say it. It will encourage my heart dearly. So from Acts chapter 18 um, today, we have been walking through um, this story of really the first Jesus followers. It's called the early church. It's, it's really our family history. It's our family story. We're going to take upwards of an entire year to walk through the story of the book of Acts. It's called the Acts of the Apostles. Some would even uh, like to call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the story, the Spirit of God and the move of God through the church as the church expands for the very first time in the first Century, And so we're going to be doing this together. Um, we have a few more in the series and the teaching series that will lead us up to Mother's Day. And then at Mother's Day, we're praying about where to go and what the Lord would have us to do, to do beginning then. But today, in Acts chapter 18, we're looking specifically at this journey, the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. He's one of the leaders of the church. And we're looking at um, his, his ministry activity and really his team and their efforts and what they're doing. And, and today, he's in this city of Corinth. And what you need to recognize, one of the things you need to recognize is that the movement of Jesus um, happened through the major cities in the Greco-Roman world. Um, that Christianity, that following Jesus, that understanding Jesus isn't some kind of a backwoods, unintelligent, unacademic kind of thing. The ministry of Jesus and the mission of Jesus, first and foremost, it moved through the Roman Empire through strategic cities. And today, the Apostle Paul is in the city of Corinth. This would have been a port city in its day. It would have been one of the most progressive cities in its day. It would have been a city that was on the edge of, of progressive thinking and progressive thought. And the Apostle Paul, just like he did last week in the city of Athens, he shows up in Corinth and he brings the good news of Jesus 
And it reaches a city, even a city like um, Corinth. And in many ways, I am so fond of Corinth because of the similarities that it shares with us in the city of Wilmington. As a, as a really about the same size as a city, it's a port city, it's a progressive city, it's, it's a city for commerce and distribution and other things. Um, it, it's amazing to see what, um, how the, this, this good news of Jesus even reaches a city like um, this. And then today, there's a lot of different directions that we could go in today. We're going to cover chapter 18, but I'm going to take the time that we have together and I'm going to focus in on two individuals uh, throughout this chapter whose names are Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla. And as you will learn as we walk through this story, they are husband and wife. And they're going to operate as a ministry team together. They're going to serve together in the church. They're going to come alongside the Apostle Paul. And God's going to use them significantly to do a ministry. Um, they're mentioned three times in this chapter, at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end. And so we're going to focus uh, most of our intention on them because this is one of those unique, rare situations in the book of Acts where we have a, a case study of a family like this, a ministry couple like this, and, and I think um, you'll, be, you'll be blessed by looking at their life, uh, looking at their ministry, and actually the ways that you and I could emulate their passion, their calling, and the ministry that God has called them to um, as well. So here we go. Are you ready? Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, beginning in ver verse 1. Um, this is what... <clears throat> Was that an amen or was that a cough? Was that, that's, okay, let's go. Here we go. Here we go. Acts, Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. This is what it says. It says this. After this, Paul left Athens and he went to Corinth. So he shows up in the city of Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila. He was a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because, he, because Claudius, rather, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. This is honestly kind of a migrant situation. Um, Aquila and Priscilla have to leave. They're forced because of this government leader, this Roman leader, Claudius, forces all the Jews out of Rome. It's a migrant issue. They're, they're fleeing. It's a refugee situation. And he went to see them, Paul does. It says this in verse 3. And because he was of the same trade as they were, um, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And so Aquila and Priscilla, they're just uh, working a job. They're just trying to make ends meet. They're just doing their trade. They're doing their skill. They're doing their craft, which was making tents, which apparently back in the day, um, that was super common. So they're making tents. Um, often uh, these kinds of people were leather workers and they were uh, used to making things like this. And apparently the apostle Paul, um, he is at points in his ministry where he can't pay all his bills. So he has to pick up a little job on the side and he joins them in their business it joins them in making tents um, as well. It says this in verse four, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath, this is speaking of the apostle Paul, and he tried to persuade Jews and uh, Greeks. <clears throat> so let's park real quick before we go any further. Who exactly are this, this, these people, uh, Aquila and uh, Priscilla? Well, from what we can gather and uh, what, we can, what we're going to find out from the chapter today and uh, what we also recognize from what commentators say about their situation is that this was a husband and a wife couple who were most likely followers of Jesus. Uh, most likely they were actually leaders in the church at Rome. And because of what had happened with the decree of Claudius, they are forced to leave. And so they, 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 they migrate uh, towards this city, Corinth. They land in the city, Corinth, and then they meet the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul comes along beside them. It says that he actually lives in their home. 
So he actually joins in their house. He needs a place to stay. Um, you ever housed anybody before that needed a place to stay? You ever housed a pastor or preacher or missionary before? Paul needs somewhere to stay. He, he stays in their house. He begins to do the work with them. And what we're going to see um, in this uh, couple's <clears throat> Uh, life is they're going to become lifelong uh, friends with the Apostle Paul. Um, they're actually going to become ministry companions and travel companions with the Apostle Paul. And so for the rest of their life, they're going to use their life. They're going to use their resources. They're going to use their real estate. They're going to use their gifts, their talents, their skills in the ministry um, of the gospel, uh, joining the Apostle Paul. Um, they are mentioned three times in this chapter. You could really say kind of the, they're the central theme throughout this chapter in Acts chapter 18. They're mentioned three times here, and then they're also mentioned three other times in the New Testament um, by the Apostle Paul. And so the Apostle Paul and Luke, who's the writer of Acts, are going to reference this couple uh, six total times um, in the New Testament. The other places that they're going to be mentioned is Paul's going to address them at the end of the book of Romans in Romans 16. He's going to address them at the end of the book of 1 Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 16. And he's also going to address them in his letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And so here's what we're going to see, the ministry that continues to happen in, um, in Corinth. Here's a little bit of a, a snapshot of what happens. It says this in verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, which would have been the house of worship for the Jews, he believed in the Lord. The Lord here, when you see the, the term the Lord, that means Jesus Christ. He believes in Jesus and it says together with his entire household. His entire household become Jesus followers. His entire household believe in this Jesus, the Christ. And it says, and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. Many of the Corinthians, many of these people who are in this city, they hear what Paul has been saying. They, they hear the good news. They, they hear the message that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is the long anticipated Messiah. He's the anointed one, the one that has come, God in the flesh to love them, to serve them, to give up his life for them, to even go to a cross on behalf of them for their sins. And that Jesus was buried, that he died, but then he rose from the grave. He resurrected, triumphing over Satan, sin, hell, and the grave. And the Apostle Paul is sharing this message. He's sharing this news. And it says, many of the Corinthians believe. By the way, the gospel still works. The gospel still works. The good news of Jesus still works for every single person, for anybody that hears the message of the good news. It's this, is that you cannot save yourself, that you need a savior, that you need to know this God, that you need to have a relationship with God. And the way that you have a relationship with God is through Jesus Christ. It's through him. That he came and he lived the life that you could not live, a life of perfection, moral perfection, meeting every requirement of the law of God. And that Jesus, he, he went to uh, the cross. He took on the death that you should have died. He took on your sin and your shame. Our God is a God of justice, which means your transgressions, your iniquity, your wrongdoing. Something must happen because of your own sin and your own actions. And that God holds justice, holds you responsible and liable for your injustice against him. But Jesus Christ went to the cross for you. He went to the cross for you and then he took on your sin and then he went into the grave, the grave that you were supposed to go into, which Satan put him in, which sin put him into, which hell put him into. But then he resurrected, demonstrating that we have a God that is even more powerful than our sin and our shame and death. 
And that's the good news of Jesus. And then all who believe, uh, believe really at the root of the word believe means fidelity, faith. Those who stand in fidelity with that message, with that truth, you believe it, which means you give your life to it. You trust in what Christ has done. When you cross the line of faith and you trust Jesus for who he is and what he has done, the Holy Spirit of God comes in you. You become a new person. You become reoriented with the Father in a relationship with him. That's how it works. And this, 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 this happens um, all over the, the scriptures. This happens all over history. This happens in, in every city. This happens in every continent. This happens across the globe. And it's the good news. It's the central message of the Bible, the central message of Christianity. And this good news, it still changes people. How many of y'all been changed by the good news of Jesus? You're walking in sin and walking in shame, looking at your past and looking at everything that you had done, but you heard the good news of Jesus and he delivered you and he set you free. He made you new. He took everything that was wrong about you, everything that was broken about you, and he covered it. He covered it and he gave you access and he, and he gave you um, a relationship. He gave you forgiveness. He, he gave you grace that you did not deserve. He gave you mercy that you did deserve, that you, you, should, have, you should have gotten things that you, didn't, that you did deserve, rather. Hard to say that. Um, that's, that's the good news, and, and it changes you from the, the inside out, and it makes you an, a new person. And this is, this is what Christianity is about. It's not about church. It's not about electric guitars on the stage. It's, it's, it's not about community groups primarily, or this. Or, all those things are wonderful things. The... the Christianity is primarily about the good news of God, reaching people and setting people free and bringing them into relationship with him. And when that happens, you enter into what scripture refers to as God's kingdom. It's his kingdom. It's, it's, his, it's his community where he reigns and he rules as king. It's where he is master, where he's Lord. And we live in subjection and, and rightful relationship to him as our king and we worship him. And we live in right relationship with him now, not living for ourselves or living for anything else, but now living for, uh, for God, living for him. And this is, this is what happens. And people believed and they were baptized. They believed and they were baptized. If you've ever believed, have you ever been baptized? And, and this is the pattern that we see throughout the entire Bible. They believed, then they were baptized. Belief is your own conscious decision of giving your life to God of you in your own, your own place, giving your life to God, trusting Jesus for what he's done, giving your life to God, and then you also make another decision that you're going to be baptized. Baptism is a weird, funky Christian thing where we get a bunch of water and we dunk you under the water, and it's real wet and it's real weird, but Jesus instituted this as a demonstration, as a picture, as a symbol of what, a picture to the world of what happened on the inside of your heart. That you were, the, the, the water represents death. It represents under the ground. It represents the grave. It represents where you belonged. It represents what, what happened because of your, your sin. And then when you come out of the water, it represents that you resurrected from death as well. That you resurrected from sin. That it can no longer hold you down. That you're now a new, new person. Have you been baptized? Have you ever been baptized before? The very first step that Jesus gives anyone that follows him is to be baptized is to be baptized, which is a demonstration of your own faith, of what has happened inside your heart, and you publicly declare that to the world. And so we, uh, they believed and they were baptized. If you wanna, if you wanna be baptized, we'll, we'll help you get baptized. Um, we'll help you get baptized. There's a, there's a way that you can talk to some people afterwards. The next steps, there's next steps card. We'll help you get baptized. We'll help you get baptized, amen? amen. 
And now let's fast forward and, uh, and look at verse 18. And we're going to look back at Priscilla and Aquila and, and kind of see the next step of their journey in this process. It says this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him, Priscilla and Aquila. How many of y'all like to travel? <laughs> Apparently so to Priscilla and Aquila. Um, there, Paul's like, I need a team. I need help. I can't do this on my own. He had been at Corinth for upwards of maybe two years, at least 18 months, the scriptures tell us. And then he leaves and he's, he's going to head back to Syria, which was the Middle East, Jerusalem, Palestine, back where um, all this originally happened. And he takes with him Priscilla and Aquila. It says at Concrete, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. Now look at verse 19. And they're like, Pastor Ethan, why are you going to talk about his hair and the vow? No, I don't exactly understand that. So we're going to move forward. Verse 19. <laughs> Honestly, I'm not sure what's going on there. Verse 19 says this. It says, and they came to Ephesus. So Paul and his ministry team, Priscilla and Aquila, they came to Ephesus and he left them there. It's like, hold on. You said we were going all the way. We're, not, we're coming with you. He says, nope, not going to happen. You're going to stay. He left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. Sorry, I got to keep going. Verse 21. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. I might come back sometime. I'm not exactly sure. It's up to God. And he set sail from Ephesus. Here's what's crazy. He leaves Priscilla and Aquila um, in Ephesus. And he's like, good luck, guys. Like, all right, see you, Paul. But here's what, here's what, he's leaving them there as leaders of this church. He's leading them there to do the work of ministry. He, he's, he's spent a couple years with them. He's discipled them. He's raised them up. He's taught them everything that he possibly knows. And now he says, you're good. You can stay here. You do ministry. I'm, I got to keep going, but you do ministry here in Ephesus. And what we're going to know, what we'll find out from them is they actually do significant ministry in the city of Ephesus. In fact, I was talking, about, talking to Pastor Chris about this this week. Um, Ephesus was one of the shining lights of churches in the entire New Testament. And most likely what we can see is on some level, Priscilla and Aquila had a significant role to play in that city. Paul would eventually, he'd send Timothy actually to join them in the city of Ephesus. But Ephesus would become one of the, the bright lights, one of the highlights of the entire New Testament of the cities where the church um, was planted and what was happening. Some cities had major problems. Ephesus had some problems, but it was actually one of the better churches in uh, the entire Roman Empire. And so what we should gather from that is that Priscilla and Aquila probably did a good job. They probably did a good job in the ministry and the things that God had called them to. And then we see this in verse 24. We see a situation, an episode that happens in Ephesus that really demonstrates um, really how, how, how significant their leadership was. It says this in verse 24. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, he came to Ephesus. So he shows up where they're doing ministry, where the church is. It says he was an eloquent man. He was competent in the scriptures. Part of his giftedness was he had the ability to speak well and to communicate. And people benefited actually by hearing what he, he said. He was very competent in the scriptures, which meant he was a very studious man. And he understood how to communicate well. It says this in verse 25. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He's got a lot of passion. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. What this means, Luke is essentially trying to get us to understand that in this time period, a lot was happening in the church and the apostles were going forward and teaching and explaining and sharing things and the church was learning as they were going. What we see here is that Apollos had a little bit of a knowledge gap. 
he had a little bit of a theology gap where he understood and had been instructed some things in the way of the Lord, but there were some things that were missing. So it says this in verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Has <laughs> that ever happened to you, by the way? <laughs> like, hey, that was a great sermon. You did a great job. But can we have a conversation real quick? Um, Hey, you did a great job at community group, and I think what you said was amazing, but can we have another conversation just to help you? Can, can, I, can I float your bone real quick and help you out? Um, he, he's, I love this. I love that Apollos is passionate. I love that he's exuberant. I love that he's a studious man. I love that he's, he's going for it. I, I love, we, we, say, we say on our staff, we'd rather steer stallions than kick a donkey. He's, he's a stallion. He's just, I'd, I'd rather steer somebody than have to kick somebody and get them going. He's just doing ministry. He's, he's leading. And then they say, hey, you need a little bit of steering. And so Priscilla and Aquila, they gather, they take him to the side. Let us unpack for you a few more things that would be helpful in the ministry that you are doing. It says this in verse 27. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. So he leaves Ephesus and Apollos continues doing ministry. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that he, that, sorry, that the Christ was Jesus. And so here's what happens. He leaves Ephesus and he goes on his way and he does even greater ministry than he did prior because someone helped him and holded his hand and instructed him in the way. And many in the church benefited from the ministry that he was doing. So here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to make a few observations briefly of this, of this couple, of this husband and wife couple, Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, I'd love to just make some general observations and then I would like to make a few practical applications to us for what this would mean for us in our own individual lives and the calling and the ministry that God would have for each of us. Here's the first thing that I um, recognize is that, <clears throat> interestingly, most of the ministry of Jesus and most of the ministry of the apostles, um, you may not know this or not, but most of ministry in the New Testament that we see was actually led by single people actually led by single people. This is, this is one of the few occasions, this is one of the, the rare occasions where we see a husband and wife duo team doing as clear ministry um, as they are doing. Most of the time, Jesus, um, Jesus' team, uh, Paul's team, Barnabas' team, most of these leaders in the church are single people. So which, by the way, if you're single, uh, be encouraged. There's great ministry opportunity for you. You don't need to feel inferior in, in where you are. The church, honestly, historically has done a bad job of that. Like if you're single, you've got some kind of disease or something. No, if, if Jesus was single, the apostle Paul was single. Many were single. Paul would even say in other places in the New Testament, I wish that more of you were single like I am. Why does he say that? He says, because there's great ministry opportunity for those who are single. It doesn't mean that if you're married, um, you can't do ministry, but it means that you are limited. All right, it means you are limited. Um, I, my primary ministry that I'm called to is where? It's not the Bridge Church, it's my home. It's my home, it's my wife and it's my three little girls. Now for the sake of ministry, I can't abandon them and act like they're going to be fine. Now my first ministry is my, my home. So I've got to do great ministry in my home. I've got to love my wife well and serve my wife well. I gotta get over my, my, my junk, my issues. I've gotta figure out how to sacrifice. I gotta figure out how to get over my own comforts and conveniences and figure out how to love her. And as, as Peter would say, live in an understanding way with her. And we need to have a great marriage. We need to have a strong marriage. And then I need to love my kids. I need to be present with my kiddos, with uh, Nora Harper and Claire. I need to be present. I need to go to dance competitions. Um, <laughs> Um, in Jesus' name. Um, 
you know, that's my, that's my, that's my, that's my first ministry. Uh, that's my first ministry. And so you kind of get the leftovers. Uh, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> Uh, but, but I, and, and actually Timothy would say that if you don't know how to manage your household well, how can you manage the household of God? Amen. So one of the responsibilities of an elder is that yeah, you're, you're intentional about your home and uh, your household. And, 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 but but here's, what, here's what I want you to hear me say, that if you are single, man, there's great ministry opportunity for you. Um, I was actually having this conversation with, with one of our elders, uh, Julian Carter, and uh, he said this, and I thought it was super helpful, and I thought I would share it with you. He, he said this, part of the significance of singleness is that we get to do ministry in community together, community together in the body of Christ. We are not alone. God gives us a family to laugh with, to cry with, to celebrate with, to grow in holiness with, and to walk together to see heaven as it is on earth. Isn't that good news? Which means, um, there's, there's, I've said this before, there's no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, okay? Um, so if you're single, um, you've got great ministry opportunity. God loves you. God empowers you. Um, there's, great, there's great things in store while God has you in this season of um, singleness. But one of the things that we, we notice from this passage is that, um, th- that Priscilla and Aquila um, are doing ministry together um, as a married couple. Now, here's the other thing that we see, that they are disciples of Paul and ministry partners with Paul. And so they would be further discipled. They would be poured into by him, especially for at least a couple years in the city of Corinth. And then we would see they would actually leave Corinth, become travel companions with him, that they would do ministry together, and that they would eventually become lifelong friends and that the Apostle Paul would have a special bond and relationship with them. Here's the other thing that's an observation that we recognize is that both Priscilla and Aquila play a vital role in the leadership of at least three churches. We know from what scripture tells us that they play a significant leadership role in the city of Rome, in the city of Corinth, and the city of Ephesus. And they not only served as leaders in the church, they actually operated, um, the church operated out of their home in multiple cities. It says that the church would gather in their home, that they, they they would do ministry in their home. And so they opened the doors of their home and they do ministry out of their home. And, and so we see here that they use their, their resources uh, for kingdom purposes. In at least multiple cities, they're even there using their home as a house church uh, for the church to come and, and, and to, be, to grow and to be discipled and to do community and ministry out of their home. Here's another observation that we see from this is that their leadership role in the church included both theological and doctrinal formation of other leaders in the church. And so Priscilla and Aquila... They, they, uh, the Apollos here, they, they take Apollos aside and they provide a leader in the church with theological instruction, theological clarification, doctrinal correction. Let us, help you, let us help you understand this a little bit more. And so I just want to make it very clear that both this husband and this wife, part of their leadership role in the church included theological and doctrinal formation for other leaders in the church. Here's another observation. They're a one-unit ministry leadership team. Uh, They are mentioned um, six times, as I said, in the New Testament, and all six times they're mentioned together. It's Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila, or Aquila and Priscilla, Aquila and Priscilla. They're mentioned together, which demonstrates to us that they operate as a one-unit ministry team. Um, They're always mentioned together. Don't you love it when you see a husband and a wife serving together? Don't you love it when you see a husband and a wife locking arms together? that they're called together, that they got a ministry together, that they're, that they're doing this thing together. Um, I'll, even ju- I'll even just say for, for my own life and my own, 
my own ministry, in my own marriage. I haven't always done this the best way. Uh, sometimes I have, and Ashley's sitting up here in the front row and she would testify. There's been times where I've kind of left her off to the side and unfortunately isolated her from the ministry that God had called us to. And we've, over the past few years, tried to um, redeem that and recover that and, and, and correct that and come together and say, this is what God has called us to. This is what God has called our family to. This is something that we're doing together, which by the way, you don't see this, but my wife does a ton of ministry behind the scenes. Uh, she, does, she, does a, she does a ton of things. She's, um, you, know the, you know, the number one thing she has to do is she has to listen to me come home every day. And she has to listen to my mouth and my, my attitude and my, my problems and, and my challenges. You won't believe what happened today. You won't believe this thing. Um, and, and, and we serve together and we believe that God called us to, to start this church together, that this wasn't Ethan's thing, but this was a Welch thing. This was what he was calling our entire family to do. But we see here, I love it. They're a, they're, they're a unit. They're one unit. They're, they're a one flesh unit. They're doing ministry together and they're, uh, they're serving together. And then here's, here's number six. Here's, here's the last observation that I have for you that I think is important. Both Paul and Luke, they switch the order of the names and list Priscilla before her husband Aquila. And of the six times they are mentioned, actually four times Priscilla is listed first in the order. And we don't know exactly what that means, but in this day, this would have been significant to do this in this cultural context. We don't know exactly what this means, but commentators would say this would have been unique for her to be mentioned before her husband in this kind of cultural moment. And what this likely means is that she had some level of either prominence or some uh, culturally or some kind of leadership role, maybe even that was more visible and more public even than her husband, Aquila. And so I just want you to recognize and to hear um, that she is doing significant ministry alongside her husband, which leads me to our first application point. Here's number one. If you're taking notes, uh, write voraciously. Number one, it's this. Everyone, everyone can do ministry. Somebody say everyone. everyone. Who is everyone? <laughs> everyone. Everyone. Everyone can do ministry. Everyone in the church has a ministry. Everyone in the church has a responsibility. Everyone in the church has a way in which you contribute to the church and to the kingdom of God. I love what it says, what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. It says this, speaking of, of Christ, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. He gave these leadership roles and these offices to the church. Why did he do that? Why did he give leaders to the church? Well, here's why. To equip the saints for what? For the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Just for clarity, just to be real basic here, who does the work of ministry? The saints, the saints. That is a fancy biblical way of saying all of us, everybody. Everyone that's a follower of Jesus, everyone that is a believer does the work of ministry. And part of my role, honestly, is I don't, if you want to use this language, I actually don't do a lot of ministry in that sense. My primary responsibility or one of my primary responsibilities is to equip you for the work of ministry, which means you got to be the one doing ministry. You got to be the one doing the work. Uh, you've got to be the one. We, we've said this a uh, hundred times here at the bridge. The church is not an audience. It's an army. 
It's an army of people that are locking arms together, that are doing the work of ministry um, together. So everyone can do ministry. But here's what we like to do. We like to put excuses in front of our name. Well, because of this, this is why I can't do ministry. Here's, here's, one of, here's one of the ones that the church has done historically is gender. Well, you know, women, they really can't, they really can't lead the church. They really can't do, I mean, they really can't do ministry. No, 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 no. This is, this is what we see even from the scriptures, that everyone can do ministry, which means women, hear me say clearly, God has called you to ministry. He's equipped you to ministry. He's equipped you to lead the church and to serve in your giftedness and to operate however he has called you to operate. Amen? Can I get amen? We're, we're a church that wants to empower women for ministry. And if you get nervous when I say that, let's have a conversation. I'll pray for you, okay? I'll say a prayer for you. Women, and this is what we see in the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. It's actually, if you wanted to quantify it, it seems like there's more women doing the ministry than men doing ministry. There's women at every front, at least you could say, all over the church who are doing the work of ministry. So sometimes we like to, to put in excuses or, or barriers or things like, like gender or like experience. Well, you know, Pastor Ethan, I just don't really have enough experience to do ministry. I just really, I'm kind of new, kind of new around here. And I can't really, don't really know if I can. Everyone can do ministry. Everyone can do ministry. Everyone has a role. Everyone has a responsibility. Everyone has a calling. Like, what if I mess up? We'll help you. We'll correct you, okay? We'll help you. We'll help you figure out the way. We'd rather steer stallions though, okay? So let's get going. Let's go, let's get going. Do, do the work. Well, what, what about, what about this one? I, well, Pastor Ethan, I just don't know enough. You know, I mean, y'all like know a lot. I don't even know the whole Bible. I don't even understand things. I don't really know a lot. Um, hear me clearly. Everyone can do ministry. Everyone can do ministry. It's not about how much knowledge you have. We'll help you. We'll encourage you. We'll disciple you. We'll teach you. We'll instruct you on your way. But everyone can do ministry. It's not like there's a knowledge threshold. And as soon as you cross that threshold, now you're qualified to do ministry. No, 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 no. Everyone can do ministry. Or, or what about this one? Well, Pastor Ethan, if you knew my past... If you know what I've done, if, if you knew what has been done to me, if you knew what I have been through, just for, just for clarity, the Apostle Paul, he did worse things than you in his past, okay? He messed up more than you did in his past. He was responsible for murdering Christians. Anybody done that in the room by a show of hands? All right. If, Paul, if Paul's past did not prevent him from doing ministry in the present, your past does not prevent you from doing ministry either. Everyone can do ministry. Everyone can do ministry. And so we, we want to overcome the barriers and the excuses and the things that maybe that we personally have put in the way or that others have put in the way. And we need to recognize that everyone can do ministry. Here's number two. Here's number two. No one should do ministry alone. No one should do ministry alone. You ever tried to do ministry alone, by the way? You tried to start that thing. You tried to, tried to work that thing. You tried to start that group. You tried to start that ministry. Tried to start that nonprofit. You did, you did it alone. Did it work out? Eh, not really. We never see anyone in the New Testament doing ministry alone. Do you know that I have a tendency and a problem to like to do things alone? Um, I'm a high introvert. You may not know that about me. 
but I'm, an extreme, I'm, I'm on the scale, you can't get any higher than me. I'm that high of an introvert, which means I get energy from being alone. I get energy from being on my own. My wife is at the other spectrum. She's at a, as an ex, she literally tips the scales on the extrovert side, which means she gets energy from other people, from being around other people, processing other people. When I have to process things with other people, it makes me really tired. When she processes things with other people, it makes her really alive. It makes her really alert. It makes her really um, awake and gives her her energy. I have a tendency to, I kind of want to do things alone. I kind of want to figure it out on my own. I kind of would rather just put my head, head down and just do it all by myself. One of the things that I have to teach myself anytime that I'm trying to do something is I say, Ethan, who's your team? Who's your team? Who, who are you including in this process? Who are you raising up in this process? Did you know that one of my primary roles um, as the leader of our church is to, to build up teams, is to raise up teams. It's my responsibility to raise up an elder team. Uh, to develop an elder team and to make sure that we have strong overseers over um, our church. It's my responsibility to raise up the staff, make sure we have a staff team that is catalyzing the church to, to do the work of ministry, to accomplish the mission and the vision of the church. Got to raise up that, that team. And so I can't be doing all the work. My responsibility is to, is to raise up others and to make sure that we can catalyze other people to do the work. So no one should do ministry alone. So who's your team? Who's your team? Who's your team? What's your ministry team? Uh, what's, what's your own ministry team? You're trying to do ministry in your neighborhood all by yourself? Trying to do, do ministry through an organization or through downtown or through at your workplace all by yourself? Who's your team? Who are the other people at your workplace that you could put a team together and say, let's do this together? Who are the people in your neighborhood that might be believers and say, hey, let's do this together. We should pray together. We should come together. We should talk about our neighbor. I mean, not talk about our neighbors. We should pray for our neighbors and you know, <laughs> see how we can serve them and reach them and, and help them. Uh, but it's... It's a team, it's a team. Um, and so no one should do ministry alone. And I gotta go fast. Here's number three, here's the last one. It's this, um, ministry is using what God has given you to serve others. It's using what God has given you to serve others. And, and, and so here's what we know that God has given all of us. God has given us all time. God has given us all talent and God has given us all treasure. Now that treasure may take a different form uh, for, for some of you, but God has given us these things. He, he's given us time. Can I ask you a question? Um, how much of the time that God has given you do you use to serve others? How are you using your time for ministry? How are you using your talents for ministry? Has God gifted you? Has he, he skilled you? In, in a certain way, scriptures talk about our spiritual gifts and the gifts that we bring. To every single person has a gift. Every single person has a talent. What is, what is your talent? What is, what is your giftedness? And are you using that? And then treasure, your resources. Treasure just means the things that he's given you. Resources. Do you, do you have a home? That's a resource. Do you have a finances? That's a resource. Um, do you have a vehicle? That's a resource. Uh, do you have land? That's a resource. Do you have a business? That's a resource. What, what, what do you have? It's using your treasure. It's using the things that you possess, that God's given you, that you have ownership in for the sake of ministry. And every single one of us can use our time, our talent, and our treasure to serve others. And can I just do a quick little encouragement um, for those of you who are community group leaders at the Bridge Church, those of you that are opening your home, those of you that are making your home a kingdom hub for operation. Can we celebrate you today and just thank you for what you're doing? And, um, it's a big deal. Um, it's, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. My wife and I, we, we, we've led groups over the years, over 10 years, we, we've led groups even in our, we know what it's like to open up your home 
Uh, we, we know all the, the sacrifice that it takes and the time it takes and all the things that get broken and messed up and so on and so forth. But then we also know a kind of ministry that can happen in your home when you welcome people in, you let people in and you share a meal and you share a conversation and you share a story. See, ministry is using what God has given you to serve others. And I'll end with this. I love what Pastor J.D. Greer says, my former pastor in Raleigh Durham at the Summit Church. He says this, do what you do well for the glory of God and do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. See, what is it that God has called you to do? What is it that God has given you to do? What is it that God has placed in your hands? Well, do that thing well, but do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. We have people that um, today need to use your gifts, your skills, your talents, your treasures, whatever, uh, to serve and, and bridge kids to serve and see young people discipled and raised up and loved, to provide a place where they can be cared for, where families can come into an environment and trust that their children are being taken care of. We need people to serve in our prayer ministry and to walk out intercession for the church and for God's kingdom. We need people who know how to sing and carry a note or play the guitar or learn how to, or do the drums to, to give of their time and their energy for serving the body. We need people in the production ministry, people that know how to, uh, put a fader up and down and to balance an EQ and to run a camera and to do a switcher. We need people in guest services, people that um, know how to open a door and to smile uh, when people walk through the door, people that serve as deacons and in our mercy team and people that serve in the city and on and on and on and on and on. Do what you do well for the glory of God, but then do it somewhere strategic for the mission of God. I'll close with this story. Um, I grew up in the church and um, the kind of, I hate to throw shade, you know. I hate to throw shade at, uh, you know, the past and, you know, but we all, we all see things and recognize things that were perhaps broken and then we try to correct and try to course correct for the future and the future generation will do that on us as well. They're gonna pick us apart on all the things that we could do better. Um, but one of, the, one of the challenges of uh, the, the kind of church, I guess, of the culture of the church that I was a part of uh, back in the day was that it had a very tight grip on things. It had a very tight grip on things. It, you know, didn't want to let go of things, didn't want to release things, didn't want to let things go, D didn't want to, just kind of wanted to hold, kind of wanted to hoard, which by the way, it's not good for churches to hoard. You know, we don't see that in the, we don't see that in the scriptures. We see churches with open hands. My, my parents were uh, called to, to plant a church. Um, my, my dad is actually a, a pastor. My dad has been a bivocational pastor or a co-vocational pastor for, uh, for, for decades. Um, and God called my parents uh, to start a church, to plant a church in, um, in the Myrtle Beach area, which, you know, where I'm from. And the way that it would go down is that they felt this call and this desire and they went to their church and they said, we feel like God's calling us to plant a church and to start a new church to reach people and to see the gospel move forward. And they were like, okay, that's all right. Well, good for you. And it was basically kind of like a thumbs up, like ha have fun with that. Um, there was some support kind of superficially, um, but they would get our family together and a family of, of six. And then also my, my grandma, my nana was seven of us. And we would, we would move, we'd leave where we were and we'd move to uh, Myrtle Beach and, um, but with nobody else, all on our own. And we moved, I remember, I remember what it was like getting there and you're like, 
okay, how do you start a church? How are we going to do this? And I remember we would have conversations and we'd, we'd walk through neighborhoods and streets and, and everybody that we came across, we talked to them about the Lord and the church and so on and so forth. And gosh, it was hard. I mean, it was hard just week after week after week, you know, month after month after month, trying to, trying to build something from nothing and hardly any resources, hardly any dollars. Uh, it's incredibly challenging. Um, by God's grace, um, you know, most, most new churches don't actually make it. But by God's grace, um, the Lord was faithful and uh, my parents were faithful and they were, they were committed and uh, we, would see it, we would see the church slowly, uh, slowly grow. And uh, we'd see people come to know the Lord and we'd see, we'd be baptized people. Um, I still remember setting up hundreds if not thousands of chairs in the early days of our church. I was in middle school at the time and I remember part of my job, part of my role was setting up chairs. Um, it was honestly, it was, um, incredibly, uh, challenging and, uh, frustrating, um, you know, but at the same time, it was, it was beautiful. Um, and gosh, my, you know, I just feel the, uh, the need to, to honor my, my parents and the legacy that they have um, given. Uh, not, not perfect people by any stretch of the imagination. My dad watches way too much news, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but great people, and they, um, God's, God's used them uh, significantly. Um, and um, I wouldn't know that it was through that process that uh, God would call me to pastor, you know, a church as a senior in high school. And um, at the time, I really didn't like the church, and um, I thought God was wrong, and he picked somebody, you know, and he picked the wrong person. And, um, but it's what he had called me to, and I, I surrendered to that, and it would be a about a decade later that God would call me to plant a church, that he'd call me and my family to plant a church. Would, but the story was vastly different. By God's grace, we weren't at a church that was like this. Uh, we were at a church that was like this. And, and they, were, they believed in us and they said, how can we help? And they said thousands and thousands of dollars. And, spent hours and hours and hours of time pouring in and raising up and developing. And we wouldn't move alone. We wouldn't plant alone. Those of you that know the history of the Bridge Church, 45 people would move from Raleigh-Durham to Wilmington to see a new church started. People that would leave jobs, people that would leave their homes, literally people selling houses, people quit, quitting their jobs and moving to see a new church started. And um, uh, and I just, the reason that I, I, I share that is because it takes a village. It takes a village. And when we come together and we contribute together and we do ministry together, look at what God can do. Look at what God uh, can do. And so today, I don't know how you come in here or how long you've been here or how long you've been a Christian or not a Christian or whatever. Uh, but my heart today is to say, man, we, we can do this together. 
Everybody has a role. Um, everybody has a place. Everybody can contribute. Everybody's got a, a ministry and, and you can do ministry. And I love the example. Don't you love the example of Aquila and Priscilla given of their lives, given of their time to serve. And for all the people at the bridge, dozens upon dozens upon dozens and dozens of people that give, that give of their time, that give of their talent, that give of their treasure, that serve in almost every ministry capacity here at the bridge. I honor you today. I bless you today. I love you today. Let's keep it up, okay, church? Let's keep it up. Let's keep serving together and seeing what God can do through us. Amen. 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 Let's pray. God, we thank you today for uh, calling us to, to not only know you, but to serve with you and to, uh, to lead with you, to, to work with you. We thank you for um, what you're doing here at our church. God, and our heart is to empower people, every single person, every man, every woman, every child, and empower people for the ministry that you have called um, us to do. And so, Father, um, we just ask that uh, you would... Um, bless and strengthen and encourage us as we, um, as we follow you, Lord, and shoulder tap us, let us know the, the place that we're supposed to serve and the place that we're supposed to invest our time and, and give of ourselves and then help us to, to do it together and to do it well, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.